You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. We'd like to welcome you to this episode of Change My Relationship, where I'm going to be interviewing Bucky. Bucky graciously has agreed to come on and talk about his experience as a husband who came to admit that he had been covertly emotionally abusive with his wife and then has spent years getting out of those patterns. And he's willing to share those with the people that are listening in the hopes that there will be other people that can turn a very frustrating, painful marriage into a good marriage. So welcome, Bucky. Well, thank you. Thank you for for taking me on. I'm very excited because people have been waiting to hear your story. They heard your wife's story and that heard her talk about the men project that she has gotten behind and you also have gotten behind. We don't get to hear many people talk about their experience as an abuser coming out of that. And I believe it gives great hope to people to be able to hear that. So first of all, how did you meet your wife? My cousin had a friend uh, that lived locally that had a friend that was going through a divorce. And so they put together a, a dinner party uh, with a group of, of their friends. And so we met that way. What was your marriage like from your perspective before you dealt with this whole issue of abuse? Did you think you had a good marriage? I was overcome with the love that uh, that showed me she had a a wonderful capacity for love. And I just soaked it up, took it in and thought, wow, this is what marriage should be. But I had no real idea about returning that love. It wasn't something I knew how to do. And then at some point your marriage became difficult. Yes. Was that when Annette started to confront you about the pain that she was feeling in the marriage? Yes, she confronted me. And then we we would have issues. And she was a, a person who wanted the wanted solutions to issues, wanted to find solutions. And I was more of a person who tried to sweep things under the rug and, and not face issues. And that was a, a, an issue from the get-go. From the very beginning, yeah. So did you come into your marriage knowing how to resolve conflict in marriage? I had no idea. I'd, I've never lived with, I'd never lived with conflict before, even in, in the business world. Uh, my family never could confront one another. Uh, the men pretty much ruled the roost. Uh, Women got their way by going around behind the men. And so there was there was never, never conflict. And, and I was uh, pretty much, at the, you know, for most of my time, I was at the top of the food chain uh, business-wise. So I never really got confronted in business either. When Annette started to confront you, how did you respond to that? I didn't really have a game plan. So I used every tactic I could think of. And, and I would stonewall her, would power over her. I'd use any means I could think of. Uh, I would uh, I'd give her the silent treatment for an hour or two or maybe a week. So it was uh, it, it was very a very difficult time. The defensiveness is a part of not being willing to deal with the issues or not knowing how to deal with the issues. And so that's it's a protective mechanism. Now, what were your beliefs about marriage and women? How did how was it that you felt justified to control Annette? The modeling I had experienced, my father and my stepmother, uh, he did what he wanted to. And if she wanted to be his companion, she had to follow along behind him. 
that was the model I was exposed to. And I just you know, thought men in general should have the final say in a marriage. You were married before for a yeah. number of years, right? For 30 years. And so your wife didn't confront you much. She just kind of went along with things. No, I think we were raised pretty much the same way. If we had an issue, we just swept it under the rug and kept kept moving. So how did you try to control Annette? I felt I had the right to control my own environment. Of course, part of my environment was Annette. So I felt entitled to control her whenever we overlapped relationally. At least I was justified in controlling her. Mm -hmm. Now, I know she had brought up something like, even when it came to decorating your home or doing something like that, that you kind of felt like, well, I have the veto power. It needs to be this way. And she didn't feel that she was able to express herself. And I think you had talked to me one time and told me that you, you recognized later that you were really stifling her creativity and her ability to kind of give and, and be a participant with that. Yes, I was very, very set in my taste. And she's a, a very creative person. Her, she really has better taste than I, than I do, honestly. But back then, I, I was determined to have it my way. And so I, I would minimize whatever her ideas were, typically. Which And minimizing, for those that are listening, means to make them smaller or not serious or not important to where they were kind of pushed off to the side. And and you were the one that kind of made the decision. Yes. So when she tried to talk to you about problems from her perspective, because I know from her story, she said she tried to talk about what was going on and what hurt her. You didn't listen. How did you respond to that? I really discounted her ideas and I judged them as there was she shouldn't feel the way she did. It was, uh, of course, very stifling for her, but yeah, I, I just absolutely discounted her. Mm -hmm. And that is painful to have somebody do that. And it also kind of puts them into a box telling them who they should be and that it's not okay to be who they are. That's a big part of abuse too. You know, this is not unusual for all of us for things to start in our childhood. What was your childhood like? I had in my mind, and, uh, and I still feel that way, I had a very idyllic childhood, even though I went through a divorce. My parents were divorced when I was 12 years old. But my stepmother was, was a nice person. I got to live with two stepbrothers that I got along with very well. I was respected. I did well in sports. I had lots of friends. I did well in school. I uh, got into a good college. Uh, my, my childhood was pretty wonderful. I think you've already said that your father tended to be in control in the marriage and that he was the one that you know made the decision. So that was your model. And our models in childhood are very influential in terms of what we think our roles should be in our own marriage. So it makes sense. You haven't said that there's any other thing that you can think of that would have impacted. Well, there's one other thing I think that uh, that comes to mind is my father uh, had at least one affair that I know of. That was with his secretary. I don't know if that crept into my psyche or what I, at the time I I was sort of mortified by it, but anyhow, it did happen. My mother accused him of, of having other issues like that. So now I know that your wife have a pretty extensive history of going to some very well-paid name recognizable therapists over quite a number of years to try to figure out the problems and it didn't really get identified. And then she finally asked you for a separation. When was it like when you were going to therapy and the therapists weren't really pinpointing the problem? Was that making you feel more justified? I was pretty good at image control. So I would deflect the issues or I would be in denial or I would resort to gaslighting and this kind of thing. I would falsely accuse Annette sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but I, again, I was just being defensive and I was trying to create this image with the, with the therapist. And then there are a lot of therapists that don't really get the dynamics of emotional abuse when, you know, it's pretty easy to point to physical abuse, but the emotional abuse side dynamics can be covert and subtle and, and really hard to put your finger on if you don't really have a good understanding of what they are and how to recognize them. Now, you finally went to a therapist, David Hawkins, who is out of state and I believe Washington, Seattle area. And that was different. How was that different? I spent you know, quite a bit of time actually uh, on the phone with him. And then we, Annette and I spent, took two trips up to Washington, the Washington, uh, Seattle area. And then I went, took another trip on, on my own. But it was different because he was the first therapist that confronted me. And I didn't accept it for quite a while. I was very stubborn. It took a lot of uh, effort on his part to get me to understand that I, I was abusive. So when he confronted you about it at the beginning, you felt like, no, that's not true. What made you finally open your heart up to the fact that that might be true? It put names to the various things I was doing, uh, you know, like gaslighting and like deflecting. And uh, there were just all these different uh, defensive tactics. And I could see myself doing those things, but abuse was never a term that I would connect with the, with those actions. So I started to understand, well, okay, this is abusive. And another thing is that I judged how people reacted to what I was doing uh, with that, of course. He made a, a very good point, which, which, which I'll always remember, is that it isn't, it isn't how you understand what you did, it's, it's how it lands on the other person. Their feelings are, are valid, they're honest, and, and they're what they're feeling. And that's what's important. Now you're judging about how they should feel. Wow, that's a huge shift to go from thinking, I'm the one that does what I get to do. And however it affects my wife or anyone else, I get to decide if that affects them negatively. And if I say it doesn't, it doesn't, to being basically, wow, I've got to look at how other people are affected, how this hurts my wife. And your willingness to do that was a major shift in you. It was a big deal. Yes, it was. And I would bet at the beginning, there was some internal struggle with that. It did it. It was it because you started to trust David and had rapport with him and could take what he was telling you as truth. Did that help? It took a while. I mean, because we, I spent a lot of them very intensive sessions with him. I got to respect him because he, he was obviously very good at what he did and a very smart guy. Yeah, I, I just, he gained my respect and then I started to listen to him. And I know that Annette was able to let him know what some of the dynamics were in your relationship so that he wasn't just going in cold, having you be the one that was reporting, but he had spent just a little bit of time with her in those intensives where he saw what it was. So he knew what kind of what to work with. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Because uh -huh. yeah. that really helps because otherwise you're kind of stuck with just one person's viewpoint. And if you're not able to describe it, then the therapist will never know what it is. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to do couples therapy because when there's abuse present, but the therapist somehow does need to know what is going on in the relationship for the therapist to be able to confront the dynamics. And as David did to teach you what they were and help you recognize them. Otherwise, there's not really much to work with. When she gave her interview, she talked about a couples group that you guys were in for 14 years. It was 
part of your church support group and that she went to these women who were friends and some of them were mentors to her. And I know some of the men had been mentors to you. She reports that when she tried to tell them what was going on, they didn't believe her. They knew their relationship with you and what you were like in their group. And they said, no, that's not true. So they demanded that she stay in couples therapy, which she was done with. She said it wasn't working, was making it worse. She told them she wanted to separate. They said that they would not support that. And they actually ostracized her and like basically told her, if you do this, you're, you're not a part of our group. She says they supported you. And what feedback did that give you? Well, it was not only that, uh, but first of all, it, it emboldened me because again, I was very good at image control. Uh, I knew these people socially. Uh, as you said, we had a 14 year relationship. So they had a pretty, a pretty good idea of who they thought I was. So, and they supported me. And there was a men's group that had some, there was some overlap in, in person and people, but the, the men also supported me. So I was getting a lot of support for these Christian mentors of mine. So it made it very difficult for me to see the light. So basically you were thinking, and that's wrong. Yes. Or I thought, well, maybe I have a part in this, but, but she's a big part of it too. Yeah. And when you're dealing with abuse, to you can't make the couple equal. So you got to deal with the abuse first, because just because you're dealing with the abuse doesn't mean she doesn't have any issues to work with. But you've got to take care of that first before you work on your mutual relationship issues. Yes. And I think she, she did a lot of work on her on her trauma, which uh, actually enabled her to come through this in a healthy way. She did that in advance of, of our meeting, Dr. Hawkins. I mean, you guys were separated for how long? Three years. Three years. Wow. What kept you going? I mean, why didn't you just say, I'm done? I don't want to do this. For me, I, I failed in one marriage and I didn't want that to happen again. And that was one thing. Yeah, I was just wanted to persevere. I wanted to, I wasn't going to quit. And I think Annette felt the same way. More proactive about trying to find answers than I was. I, I was running a business and pretty much living alone and just, but persevering, you know. Yeah. And I think you, when we talked earlier, I think you were saying that you, there were times you'd get done with a difficult session and you'd just say, that's it, I'm done. But then the next day would come and you'd say, well, maybe I can do this one more time. <laughs> that's right. It was very difficult. It's really hard. It's hard work. Yes, it is hard work. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm sure you're glad that you got through it. It's definitely worth holding on to a marriage that can be repaired. That's healthy. It really is. It's definitely worth the effort. No question about it. Talked a little bit about anxiety that you felt when you think couldn't control things. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think when I felt I was under attack, that would bring up an issue. I, I would feel under attack and I'd make me feel anxious and then I'd go into defense mode. And then you would control it. Do you feel like you controlled her to try to control that anxiety? I, I tried all kinds of defensive tactics. I used every... The men project has a whole list of, of, of defensive tactics. And I think I use about every one of them. Oh, wow. One time or another. Yeah. That's, and there's quite a long list there. I probably should read, I should probably read a few of those. That might be helpful for the people. I've got the folder right here. See, it talks about denial is when you deny the truth. Entitlement. You had that. And unrealistic demands, right? And joking. Oh, that's right. She talked about joking. How did that play in? You know, the, this is a little bit about my background. We, we uh, teased a lot of my, we call it teasing in my family. And if somebody had a, something vulnerable, we would tease them about it. 
and also in my fraternity house in college, we would tease each other about our vulnerable things. So I brought that to the marriage. Well, Annette, it was very hurtful for her. It wasn't something she was used to and it had the wrong effect. It was very hurtful to her. But then there's a also when you're in an abusive relationship, sometimes the joking kind of goes a little bit too far. It kind of is like a little bit of a dagger to say something kind of in a passive aggressive way toward your partner, which kind of releases a little bit of anger. And then could you relate to that? I can relate to it for sure. Yeah, yeah so that's more than joking. I don't want people to think that joking is, you know, there there is something with joking in an abusive relationship that has a underlying message that's me- meant to hurt. And then you brought up gaslighting which is denying a shared reality. So you're denying her reality and you're saying it didn't happen that way. Do you remember doing that? Sure. And then I think she's, she talked about, it says creating a cloud of confusion is maybe telling the stories in a little bit of a different way to someone else where it caused the victim to feel confused. Right. In fact, I mean, she would get to a point where she didn't know what to believe, saying it a different way, but she was she got very confused. And why do you think you did that? Do you think that was part of that image control? I think it was it was just a defensive mechanism to get to win the point somehow. And I I mean winning was very important to me at that point. I yeah. I wanted to be right. And then there was also she calls power over or a power play, mm-hmm. which is using some different types of means to make the other person feel less deserving of having a right in the relationship or having the opportunity to choose or do something. You you can relate to that. I can relate to that for sure. And then what about with the holding? Do you remember that? That's has to doing like that whole silent treatment. Well, that's right. I mean, well, if all else failed, that I would just leave the room and and not talk to her for hours or days or weeks. Mm -hmm. She said sometimes you would actually leave and go away to your, I believe it's a cabin. Mm -hmm. We have a vacation home, which I would I would just drive to and, and I would go there for a few days. And have no like, or even a week maybe or more. Mm-hmm. You talked about minimization and you talked about undermine. Under, well, we haven't really talked about undermining as a way to kind of squelch somebody's creativity. Well, we did. We talked about that with the decorating. Uh-huh. Kind of take all their joy or creativity or their ideas away. So, and then refusal to take responsibility. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that for sure. You know. Yeah. And that's where you're not saying, you're not admitting that you did what you did. And that is kind of another dagger to a victim because then you're saying, well, this is what you did. And then you're denying it. So it becomes very painful. All these methods are, are somewhat related, as you can see, but yes. The most important question or most common question I, should, I get is, do abusers know they are being abusive? Do they do it on purpose? And I think the answer to that is, uh, well, I can only answer for myself, I guess, but I don't think the term abuse, I wouldn't have called myself an abuser. No, I'd say that. So I would have to say that I didn't think I was being abusive. First of all, it wouldn't fit my image, my self-image. Said until Dr. Hawkins, you know, got me face to face with it, I would have said, no, I wasn't being abusive. Uh, did Annette use that term with you? Did she tell you you were being abusive or did she not use the term abuse? I don't think she understood exactly at the time either. Yeah, that's a good point because sometimes victims don't really even know what it is. They just know they're confused and they're in a lot of pain and, you know, that it's it's not okay, but they don't know. So that's a good point. And that's when you went to all these therapists to try to figure it out and it didn't get the information you needed. That's where the men project brings clarity to all these things. People don't understand they're being abused. Really important. 
What did you actually work on to change? How does that, how did that process go? I'm sure I, you, we know it took time. It took years. First of all, I had to first understand all these various methods I was using are very harmful. In fact, I traumatized Annette and actually and affected her health as well. At that point, I was, I was motivated to, to change. I had to recognize all these things that I'd been doing and then dig down and, and get to a point where I understood that I, when I felt I was being under attack, I would be anxious and then get defensive. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of the way that goes is you, one, you have to rec- you have to admit what you're doing in any process of change. But then you have to have a desire to change. And when you're saying this is hard work, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know how else to put it. It, it is, it's difficult, if you, especially if you're set in your ways the way I, the way I was. It's very difficult wow. to make these deep-seated changes. Just have to keep at it. it. It was definitely worth it, but it was not easy. Right. And then you have to be open to, I'm sure there were times that as you guys worked on your relationship and got back together that Annette has to say to you, hey, Bucky, you discounted me again, or you just minimized me. What's your immediate reaction to that typically? Well, I probably would get anxious. I mean, because I feel like I you know, that feel like I'm under attack. That's I have to recognize that anxiety for what it is. And once I recognize that, then I know that I that I can't react immediately. I have to take a minute and then respond in a in a loving and accepting way and try to understand where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, you're open to letting her give you input about your behavior. Yes. Okay. That's really important part of changing our behavior and and takes a lot of humility. Yes. You can gain a lot of humility, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good characteristic. Humility is, is necessary in our relationships. We all have to be open to hearing the truth about how our behavior impacts each other. Your relationship now with Annette, is it good? I think it's very good. It's much more open. I think our communication is better. I think I am I am able to love her now. I, I've learned intimacy, uh, an intimacy in a relationship as opposed to maybe relationships I had in the past. So I, I've learned that from her. But yeah, I think our relationship is very good. And what would you say to someone who's listening to this whose partner is, is abusive? This would be typically a woman. And I think that they first have to, you know, before trying to get their husband to, or their partner to therapy, they got to figure out whether they're, whether they've been traumatized or not and, and deal, deal with that trauma first or trying to get into therapy. You want to work with your own therapist first to get strong enough to confront the abuse. And that's what you have to do on your own. Then confront your partner. Sometimes men are abused by women in relationships. Definitely exists. If they have another barrier with having to admit they're being abused by a woman. That's another level of different flip side of image control, as you can imagine. And then what would you say to man who was abusing his wife? Well, first, you know, he's got to recognize he's abusing his wife. And that's the hard part, I think. I mean, that's the first step. If you, if you can't admit that you're abusing your wife, I don't know how you can make any progress. Well, why would you want to consider that she might be telling you the truth? I think if you can see that she's distressed, I think you'd want to get to the bottom of you love if you love this woman or I would think that you'd you'd want to get to the bottom of you know okay what are the issues here we're having problems ongoing so there's something there until Dr. Hawkins confronted me with it I it was hard for me to see 
That makes sense. It was normal to you. It was behavior that was modeled, made sense. It's how your world was organized. But I think the neat thing that in your case, people listening are wondering, is my partner capable of changing? And you're talking about first, you have to open up your mind and be willing to find out what you're doing. And secondly, something, if it's missing, there's nothing you can do to replace it. And that's, you have to really want your relationship to work. I think that's right. It's willing to do the work and to be very intentional about it. So you would say you're in your last word, it was worth it? Definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. I love that answer. Well, thank you to those of you that are listening for sticking with us. Bucky, thank you so much for opening your heart and being vulnerable. Well, Carla, thank you for for spending time with me. You're welcome. And to those of you that are listening, I hope that you'll join us again and you'll recommend this podcast to your friends. And please let me know if you've got any ideas. And I think Bucky and I would both love to hear how this has impacted you. And I'll pass on any of those comments to him. So thank you again, Bucky. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this audio teaching on Change My Relationship by Carla Downing, licensed marriage and family therapist. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, free devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com.